Would you turn in your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 23? We're continuing our, our studies in the Gospel of Luke, and we come to chapter 23, and we'll read from verse 26. Luke chapter 23 and verse uh, 26. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and led on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when you will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nurse. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things, when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what for they know not what they do. Amen. <clears throat> and we know God will bless the reading of His own inspired Word. So this morning we're continuing our studies in the Gospel of Luke. Um, we took, we focus in on the events that took place uh, on the cross. You'll remember uh, in our last study we took a panoramic view of those events and we stood back and looked at the suffering our Lord experienced uh, overall. Um, this morning what I want to do is I want to zoom in uh, on the suffering. And we want to do that by looking at the three statements that Jesus uh, spoke uh, while he was hanging uh, upon the cross. Now, there are seven statements in all, seven that we know of. He may have said more than that, but seven statements that we know of, um, and three are recorded in Luke. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's the first, and that's the one that we want to concentrate on this morning. Uh, today to the dying thief, you will be with me in paradise. Uh, to Mary, dear woman, here is your son, referring to John, and to John, here is your mother. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I thirst, it is finished, and Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, which is the last statement recorded here in Luke uh, chapter 23. So we're focusing on the first of those statements found in verse 34. Uh, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing, or they know not what they do. I want you to notice three things <clears throat> about this statement. I want you to notice the object of the prayer, the nature of the prayer, and the subjects of the prayer. So first of all, then, the uh, object of the prayer. To whom is the prayer addressed? Now, the statement begins with the word Father. The prayer is addressed to his Father in heaven. Uh, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, that might not surprise us on first reading. Did Jesus not pray often using that term? Did he not teach his disciples to pray, Our Father who is in heaven? But when you remember the circumstances that immediately preceded this cry, the use of that term, Father, is quite remarkable. 
And I think the uh, author, Luke, wants to highlight that for us. Uh, Unfortunately, the NIV misses out a a very important connection word. It just says, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The SV says, and Jesus said. And Jesus said. The New American Standard says, but Jesus said. If you're using the authorized version this morning, it says, then Jesus said. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Then, then, at that moment, at that time, he prayed, Father, forgive them. You see, Luke is drawing our attention to the things that immediately happened to Jesus in the leading up to his crucifixion. He is highlighting the time. He is setting the scene. He's giving us the context of that cry, Father, forgive them. It wasn't like any other time. It wasn't like the time in John 17 when he prayed, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had before the world began. Or, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son. The circumstances were altogether difficult, uh, different. It was a time of immense physical, mental, and spiritual anguish. The previous night in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus, by the mere contemplation of the cross, had sweat drops of blood. He was betrayed by uh, a kiss. During the night, he was uh, taken to Annas and then to Caiaphas, the two uh, high priests. He was then uh, taken uh, before the Sanhedrin in the morning, those 72 who uh, slapped him around and beat him and mocked him. He was then taken to Pilate, then to Herod, and then back uh, to Pilate again. Uh, Throughout those events, he had been ridiculed and mistreated. They scourged him until his back was a a bloody mass of raw flesh. They put a purple, purple robe on him. They pushed a crown of thorns upon him. They took a rod and, and put it in his hand, uh, in his lap, uh, pretending it was a, a, a scepter and bowed down and, uh, and worshipped him, uh, uh, ex, uh, uh, exalted him as a king. And then they took that rod off his lap. They took off the purple uh, robe and they beat him with, with that rod. So he then is taken out to the place of crucifixion, and uh, so weakened is he from the beatings that he has received that he's unable to carry the cross, and they have to conscript this man, Simon uh, from Serene, into carrying the cross for him. And then they reach that place appropriately called Golgotha, the place of the skull, and uh, those cruel nails ripped his tender flesh. And uh, as that cross beam that he was attached to was hauled up that perpendicular pole to be secured into position, his body writhed in agony. And then he hangs suspended between heaven and earth with everyone gawking at him and some mocking him. And the first word that comes from his cracked lips, his uh, bruised face, his bleeding body, is this word, Father, Father. This is what Luke wants us to see. This is what he's trying to 
uh, emphasize, and then Jesus said, then Jesus said, when did Jesus say it? Then, then, when he had been humiliated, when he had been rejected, and when he had been punished, then Jesus said, Father. The first word from his bleeding body was this word, Father. Do you see the significance of that? In the midst of the most horrifying circumstances imaginable, Jesus could still call God Father. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus had prayed that the cup of the wrath of God might pass from him, but now he is drinking that cup. And in the midst of that spiritual agony, he cries, Father. The point is, his love, his trust in his Father was still intact. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, the Father-Son relationship between uh, God the Father and God the Son was the particular focus of the attacks of the evil one during his earthly ministry. Do you remember right at the outset of his ministry, in the uh, wilderness temptation, Satan came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. If you are, are you really the Son of God? Why is it then that you're hungry? Why is it that your stomach's empty? Why is it that you have gone without food if you are the Son of God? And then Satan takes him up to the uh, pinnacle of the temple and he says, if you are the Son of God, if you really are the Son of God, show it, demonstrate it, claim the promises of Psalm 90 and cast yourself down from the temple and let's see if you are the Son of God. Do you see the focus of those attacks, the father-son relationship? And when Satan unleashed his ultimate suffering upon the Son of God, undoubtedly part of his strategy in those attacks was to tempt him to doubt and to question his father's relationship to him. And yet in the midst of all that suffering, surrounded by this sea of temptation and this sea of hostility, Jesus cries, Father. His faith is strong. His relationship is intact. His confidence remains in the Father's love and, uh, and uh, affection. I wonder if I'm speaking to anybody who's angry with God. Angry with God because some darkness has come into your life, some cross you've been given to carry, some dark uh, providence that has overwhelmed you and engulfed you, and that pain and suffering and anguish has been used by Satan uh, in order uh, that he might tempt you to question and to doubt the Father's care for you. I say to you this morning, learn from Jesus. Look to Jesus. Learn to trust in his fatherly provision, even in the midst of your suffering. It's interesting, isn't it, that Paul says in Romans 8 and verse 15, 
one of the proofs, he says, of, of being truly a child of God, of being uh, converted, is that by His Spirit we cry, Abba, Father. And that word cry is a very strong word in Greek. It's, it's actually the word that's used of Jesus when He cried out from the cross, Corinzo. It's, it's a word that uh, encapsulates pain and suffering. And, and, and uh, Paul is saying that the, the mark of the, the true child of God is that in his times of difficulty, in his times of anguish, he cries, he instinctively cries for his father. He turns to his father and says, Father, Abba, the most intimate term that an Aramaic child could have addressed his father with. Then said Jesus, when did he say it? When, at the height of his agony, at the height of his suffering, then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. A, a marvelous display of faith and confidence in God, the object of his prayer. The second thing I want you to notice is the, the nature of his prayer. Our Lord, as he hangs uh, on that cross, racked with pain, feeling the weight of sin that is being placed upon him, prays for forgiveness. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, notice three things about this uh, forgiveness. Notice, first of all, the grace in this forgiveness. As our Lord hung on that cross, you may have expected Him to pray selfishly or even judicially, that you might have expected Him to pray for Himself. If ever there was a, an occasion where Jesus would be motivated to pray for himself, this would have been that occasion. Father, help me. Father, relieve me. Father, deliver me. Father, uh, numb my nerve endings to the pain that I'm experiencing. But he doesn't. He doesn't pray uh, selfishly for himself. He prays selflessly. He prays for, for others. Nor does he pray judicially. You might have expected him to say, Father, consume them. Father, punish them. Father, slay them. Father, unleash your wrath against my tormentors. Don't pray anything like that. He prays, Father, forgive them. Did they deserve that forgiveness? Not at all. They were utterly undeserving of any prayer from the lips of Jesus. Did they ask him to pray? Not at all. It never entered their minds. Pray for us, oh, oh Jesus. Their prayer, this prayer was unsought, undeserved, and uninvited. It was an act of grace on the part of the Lord Jesus. It was a a, a demonstration that Jesus practiced what he preached. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It's a, it's a lovely picture of graciousness, of tenderness, of compassion towards those who hurt him, betrayed him, and crucified him. The, the first word from words from our Lord Jesus' lips were words of grace, the grace and the forgiveness. The second thing I want you to notice about this is the need of this forgiveness. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, there are certain theologians, and they come to this uh, text, and they say, 
ignorance is bliss. That ignorance excuses sin. On the basis of this cry from the cross, they say a person who is unaware that they have committed sin is not held accountable for that sin. And they apply it in this way, that those who have never been taught right from wrong, because of their ignorance, they say they are not guilty. Infants before the age of understanding, remote tribes uh, in, in the world that have never heard the gospel, that sins committed in ignorance are not punishable by God. After all, Jesus said, forgive them for they know not what they do. But you see, the very opposite is true. Sure, these people uh, didn't realize the significance of their actions. They didn't appreciate the true identity of the Lord Jesus, that He was the promised Messiah, that He was God in flesh. But you see, the very fact that Jesus prayed for their forgiveness shows that they stood in need of His forgiveness, that they were guilty. You don't need to be forgiven for something which you're not guilty of. And you see, to claim ignorance, I didn't know, I didn't realize, I wasn't informed, is not an excuse. That sins committed in ignorance are still offensive to God and still require the forgiveness of God. And added to that, of course, is the fact that their ignorance was self-inflicted. Did they not have the Old Testament Scriptures? Did they not have Moses and the prophets? Did they not have that great chapter, Isaiah 53? Ignorance or not, they still needed to be forgiven. And we too are in desperate need to have our sins forgiven and our consciences washed. And ignorance is no excuse. Although I, I doubt if anybody here would be brazen enough to say, I didn't know. I didn't know. That's no excuse, but would anybody dare say that on the day of judgment? Did you not have access to a Bible? Did you not sit under gospel preaching? Did your parents not teach you the Word of God? Of course they did. But even if you were totally ignorant of those things, you still stand in need of forgiveness. Your sins still need to be forgiven, forgiven ignorance or not. Now, this has serious implications. On the day of judgment, when the books are opened and you stand before Almighty God, there will be sins that you will be charged with that you didn't even realize were sin, were sinful. That you, sins you'll be charged with that you didn't think that you were guilty of. Sins of ignorance, those sins still must be accounted for and paid for. You know, people sometimes come and say, especially if they're acting in a, a very aggressive way, they say, my conscience is clear. But, but conscience is not a reliable guide. God has given us a, a, a conscience to to make us sensitive to sin, but you can 
make your conscience callous. You can make it hard. So the charge that Jeremiah leveled against the people of Israel was that they had forgotten how to blush. Isn't that a remarkable statement? They had forgotten how to blush. Their conscience no longer bothered them. It's possible, you see, to cauterize your conscience so that it no longer bleeds. But whether it bleeds or not, those sins still have to be accounted for and paid for. I find that remarkable, that on the day of judgment, there will be sins that I will have to give an answer for that I didn't even think I'd committed. The grace in this forgiveness, the need of this forgiveness, and then thirdly, the way of this forgiveness. When was this prayer answered? When were the crucifiers of Jesus forgiven? There are some people who uh, come to this text and say that the uh, moment Jesus spoke, the moment that Jesus prayed, all this hostile crowd that crucified him were unconditionally and instantly forgiven. But you see, prayer that's offered is not always answered immediately. We know that in our own experience, don't we? We may have to pray and wait years for the answer to come. Indeed, didn't our Lord teach the parable of the unjust judge so that we might, as he said, pray and not give up, that we might persevere in prayer? Now, I believe this prayer only began to be answered on the day of Pentecost. Turn with me for a moment to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. It's important that you just follow uh, through these readings. Acts chapter 2, and look at verse 22. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. This is the day of Pentecost. Peter's preaching this great sermon, and uh, he finishes it uh, in verse 22 by saying, "'Men of Israel, hear these words.'" Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by uh, God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Do you see the charge? You crucified him, but... If that prayer of Jesus had been answered there and then, how could he charge them with those crimes? Do you see that? You crucified him. He charges them with the crime of crucifying the Lord Jesus. So that sin of crucifying the Lord of glory had not yet been forgiven. He's very specific. It's the, the crime of crucifixion that he charges them with. Now, I go down to verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were convicted. They bled spiritually. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
Verse 41, so those who received his word were baptized, and, three, and there were added to their number 3,000 souls. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins. Do you see that? For the forgiveness of sins. So the sin hadn't been forgiven. He charges them with crucifying the Lord of glory, and they need to repent and be baptized. Baptism, remember, is that public identification, that public confession of Jesus Christ. He's not making baptism a condition for salvation, but he's saying you need to repent and you need to embrace Jesus Christ. You need to identify yourself. You need to get yourself into Jesus Christ. So, then, this prayer of forgiveness wasn't uh, answered immediately Jesus spoke it, because He charges them with the sin of the crucifixion uh, of Jesus on the day of Pentecost, but it was answered when they repented and believed the gospel. I, I think we need to understand that, that that prayer was only answered when they faced up to the problem of sin, they repented of that sin, and believed in Jesus. A number of months ago, I give you that wonderful definition of J.C. Ryle about repentance. Repentance is, first of all, a knowledge of sin. You need to realize that you have sinned. Secondly, it's a sorrow for sin. It's a, thirdly, a confession of sin. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's a breaking with sin. It's a turning from sin. And if you turn from sin, then it's a turning to Jesus. That's when this prayer was answered. William Henriksen paraphrases the prayer of the Lord Jesus in this way, in thy sovereign grace, cause them to repent truly so that they can and will be pardoned fully. That's what he's praying. He's praying for repentance and faith. And that prayer was answered then on the day of Pentecost. Now, we can apply this in a number of ways, not least of all to ourselves, that we need to repent and to embrace Jesus if we are to know the forgiveness of God. And I, I encourage you, if you're not saved this morning, that you do that, because that's the only way that you will experience the forgiveness of God. But also, you know, people come and say, you know, um, like I was mistreated in the past and, and uh, maybe abused as a child or um, mistreated by a partner, and, and um, the Bible calls me to forgive them. Well, yes, it does, but on condition of their repentance. That's, that's the Bible's way. It's not unconditional universal forgiveness of all in order that evil triumphs. Yes, you're called on to forgive, but that forgiveness is conditional on the repentance, the change in behavior of that person. I think that's a very important point. It's a point that needs to be emphasized. I remember some years ago, there was a, a UDR man that was shot at the security gates on Royal Avenue and uh, at that time, they were sticking a, a microphone uh, under the mouths of the relatives of those who had been so brutally murdered. And 
the BBC came to this to this young girl, the man's fiance, and she they held the microphone. Do you forgive his killers? And she gave a superb answer. She said, "Well, well, they haven't asked me. They haven't asked me. For, forgiveness is conditional upon repentance. The object of the prayer to the Father, the nature." of the prayer. It's a prayer of forgiveness. The last thing I want you to notice is the subjects of the prayer. Who, who is this prayer about? Who does it concern? Well, look again at verse 34. Father, forgive them. Do you see that? Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Forgive them. There's something wonderfully ambiguous about that forgive them. It's indistinct. It's general. It's, it's wide. He doesn't pray, Father, forgive the scribes and the Pharisees that charged me and brutalized me. Forgive the Sanhedrin who struck me and mocked me. Forgive Pilate who sentenced me. Forgive the soldiers who crucified me. Forgive those who gawk at me and, and mock me now. No, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's wonderfully general. You see, this prayer is still being answered. answered. It began on the day of Pentecost when uh, 3,000 people were cut to the heart over this very crime of crucifying the Lord Jesus. And, and it's still being answered, and it's still being fulfilled when boys and girls, uh, young people, uh, uh, men and women come to Christ in true repentance and put their trust in Jesus Christ. And it will go on being answered until, as Cooper says, the ransomed church of God be sin, saved to sin no more. Spurgeon says, and this is lovely, he says, into this pronoun, them, I think I can crawl. Into this pronoun, I think I can crawl. Them, by a humble, contrite faith, turning in repentance, appropriating the work of the cross, you can get yourself into that big little word, them. I want to ask you then this morning, are you answered prayer for the Lord Jesus Christ? I trust, I trust I am. When he prayed, Father, forgive them, he was praying, Father, forgive Stephen Curry, for he knows not what he does. There was a, a little boy who was mad at his mother, and he knelt down beside the bed, and he said, God bless Daddy. God bless Granny. God bless Granda. God bless my aunts and uncles. And he listed them all. God bless my brother and my two sisters. And then he said, Amen. And he got up into the bed and he said, looked at his mother and he said, did you see who I didn't pray for? There's no such restriction here. Father, forgive them they know not what they do. You must be cut to the heart. You must face up to the problem of sin. You need to embrace Jesus 
as Savior and Lord, to trust in Him, to fix your hope upon Him, to put your trust in Him as the grounds of your acceptance before God. And then you know, you know that this prayer was for you, that you can say, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross. I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. Guilty consciences that are stirred require the forgiveness of God. But even if your conscience is clear and no longer bleeds, that's no excuse. You still need, you still require the forgiveness of God. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The object of the prayer, Father. That's, that's amazing. The nature of the prayer, forgiveness. The grace in that forgiveness, they didn't ask for it. They didn't certainly deserve it. The need of this forgiveness, sins committed in ignorance still require the forgiveness of God. And the way of forgiveness, this prayer was answered when they were charged with the crime, they were cut to the heart, and they embraced Jesus as Savior and Lord. And the subjects of this prayer, them, them, all who truly repent and believe the gospel. Amen.